This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello again, and welcome back to the Monday Morning Break, wherever you are. I'm Kanduk Kutik, and today I'll be speaking with my guest about studying English at university and why we're passionate about it and how young people can learn to value and enjoy their studies. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello again. So question for you, my dear listeners. Is it really the end of the English degree or any other humanities degree? I have a degree in philosophy and what's called here where I am, English philology. English philology is the study of literature, culture and linguistics of the English speaking world. It was neither a teaching degree nor very marketable on its own. Okay. My third subject was general linguistics, and then I went to do an MA in English language teaching. I think I did well for myself, yet all over the world we're seeing this push towards STEM, science, technology, engineering, maths. Departments are closing down or being reshuffled. And even where I work, our student numbers have decreased. Is it because young people find studying for an English degree or humanities degree difficult? Is it because they do not see the value of such a degree? Today, my guest and I will be talking about this. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back, and even better for educators. 
New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BED, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC News website reports on announcements that GCSE students in England will get formulae and equations in their maths and science exams for summer 2024. The Department for Education has asked the exam regulator to extend previous support for another year to limit the impact of COVID. Most students who were due to sit GCSE exams next summer were in year seven when the first lockdown began. Teaching unions have welcomed the proposal, which is being consulted on. The DfE said it would mean enhanced formula and equation sheets for pupils in maths, physics and combined science. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said these pupils will be the last to experience two years of national closures during secondary school and that it was right that they get additional support. She went on to say it was disappointing that the decision had been made so late on, as many pupils will take mocks in the coming months or so. The union ASCOL welcomed the consultation, but argued that the provision of support materials should be permitted as it would reduce some of the stress of exam preparation and allow pupils to focus on core knowledge and skills. Prior to this announcement, exams in England had been due to return to 2019 arrangements. Exams were cancelled across the UK in 2020 and 2021 and grades were based on teacher assessments. When students returned to exam halls in 2022, they were given extra support. Some measures remained in place for exams in England in 2023, with exams in the same subjects spaced more apart, formulae and equation sheets in some subjects, and not being tested on unfamiliar vocabulary in modern foreign languages. But unlike the rest of the UK, students in England were not given information on topics on which they were being tested. England was also the only nation this summer to bring back in line with 2019 with Wales and Northern Ireland planning a slow return. As a result, the drop in pass grades was steepest in England. In another week of political drama, the latest government reshuffle has seen the return of many familiar faces. For education, it means the return of former Education Secretary Damien Hines as Schools Minister. He replaces Nick Gibb, who resigned to pursue a job in the diplomatic service. A report in FE Week focuses on Hines' previous experience leading the DfE between January 2019 and July 2019, during which time the government completed reforms to technical education. Hines has previously said, after his 2019 departure, that there was still work to do on social mobility. He was replaced by Gavin Williamson. The Education Secretary stated Mr Hines is hugely experienced and who would continue to build on Nick Gibbs' record of driving up standards. Mr Hines is the sixth person to hold the schools minister 
role in 18 months. The Glasgow Times reports on what it calls the long-term decline in education standards after the Institute of Fiscal Studies looked at Scotland's disappointing history in PISA figures, an international measure. Since 2012, Scottish scores in maths and science have declined. The figures also show a wide gap between the richest and poorest in maths, science and reading. But more well-off students also underperform when compared to their English counterparts. Large increases in spending and big reforms such as the Curriculum for Excellence do not seem to have translated into higher performance, according to Andrew McKendrick, one of the report's authors. A Scottish Conservative education spokesman said the report should act as a wake-up call for the SNP, and Scottish Labour said it exposed the damage the SNP has done. Finally, Schools Week reports on the invitation to schools to request a free portrait of King Charles II under a new government scheme. The scheme is costing £8 million. Those wishing to take up the offer must apply before the 2nd of February 2024. The King will be shown in ceremonial dress and delivery of the images will take place between February and April next year. The A3 size picture will be printed on high quality paper and be in a glazed frame. Schools which display pictures of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth will not be obliged to take down her portrait. Suggested placement of the image of His Majesty is reception areas or a function room or similar location. Schools will not be able to see the portrait before submitting requests. The image is not being funded from school budgets, but out of a separate pot similar to the scheme which provided a free book to every primary school pupil to mark the Queen's Platinum Jubilee in 2021. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So here we are. We're talking about the end of the English major. And with me today, I have Dr. Marcel Hardwick, who has called in or will be calling in. Um, Marcel, are you there? You've disappeared. Could you call in, please um, press the call in button? But while we're there, you go. And we're just waiting. Marcel. Like me, Marcel has a degree in English. Here you go. Marcel, you are a speaker now. Let's see how your sound is like. Can you hear us, Marcel? Yes, I can hear you. We can hear you very well, Marcel. All is good. good. Crisis averted. Um, Marcel, before we begin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm an American Studies PhD who is working at the University of Siegen. Um, I'm also heading an English theatre group here in, in Siegen. That is the only one that is appearing on public stages here. Uh, and we recently also toured uh, our current production to Ireland. Uh, my focus here is on early American history, but also on media studies, film studies and literary studies. Okay, so you have a humanities degree, a degree in English. Now, how do you feel when you know you hear headlines like we had that in on in the New Yorker, the end of the English major, or people saying, "Oh, an English degree is worthless." How do you feel? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's um, yeah, it's a it's a 
debate that I think is mostly geared by actually the Ivy League elitists. Mm -hmm. So I, I have I have a feeling that the institutional demographics very much decide who is being heard in the public discourse. So very often these debates tie back to John Guillory, for example, and his book Professing Criticism. And also the contributors to this debate most often are coming from uh, elite universities. And I have the feeling that universities who are not in this realm are rarely heard, who are actually experiencing the crisis, who lack mm -hmm. an access to funding mainly. Um, I think it was Christopher Newfield who actually said that the crisis of the humanity is a funding crisis. Um, right. And we, we, see, we have seen this also during the pandemic. That when, for example, um, the DAAD closed its funding here in Germany, uh, it was mostly the humanities that were um, defunded there. You could still apply for funding if you were in computer science, for example. So if you were in the field of STEM sciences, you still had an opportunity even um, during these dire times to get funding. And on the other end, the humanities itself, they also thrive on crisis uh, because crisis is basically um, uh, an, uh, one of the most important pillars in any any fields of their studies that they look at and try to understand. So it is not just uh, a, uh, a modern fad in that sense, but something that has always been there. So I'm I'm a I'm a bit I must say <laughs> fed up with this crisis discourse uh, about the English major. Mm -hmm. uh, and I keep telling my students always in my introductions to literary and cultural studies um, why the liter literature degree matters. And I also try to make them realize that what they are doing here is also an epistemological and thesis-oriented science that is dealing with probable truths mm -hmm. and that also supports tolerance towards ambivalence. Uh, it allows us to analyze truth claims and uh, essentially also fosters open-mindedness and therefore is an essential pillar also of democracy. And if they don't care about democracy, then, well, <laughs> then they probably wouldn't listen to me there and follow me there. But I try to instill also um, these these values that come with our degree. And so in that sense, I'm actually very happy to have um, a humanities degree. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also very happy that I get to teach in this field. And we must also be honest, even though we have... Um, um, if even if we have rising numbers, because also here at our university, uh, uh, the humanities still have the biggest student body, mm -hmm. um, they're still being defunded. So it doesn't matter if, if um, more students are coming here, the funding is still remaining an issue. So I think that the, the crisis talk actually should focus more on this funding crisis than um, the, value, the value talk about the English major. Right. Um, I'd like to pick up on two things then. Um, the first of all, I'd like to talk about the funding issue a little bit. And then after that, um, we'll talk about the values. I think, you know, I like you, I also have a humanities degree. Um, and I think it has equipped me with some really important job skills. But we'll come back to that. Yes, the funding issue, you are absolutely right, isn't it? Um, when I look, I had worked in the UK and I follow some of the goings on um, in North America. And when I look at funding or rankings, right, a lot of the rankings focus on the science subjects, science, tech, engineering, math, because also when you have people doing further degrees in these subjects, there's always that application that transferability, 
as people see it to our day-to-day life, right? If somebody were to do a a, a PhD in the on the poetry of of it's been a long time. I can't think of anybody on the poetry of Emily Dickinson, for example. <laughs> right? Um, the question you'd get asked is, you know, and what's the value of this this knowledge that you gain out of this research project? What what are we going to do with this? But if you were to do some kind of PhD or master's research project on using AI in medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, that would get a lot of funding. Why Why do you think, you know, apart from the fact that funding bodies don't see the value of research and, um, yeah, of research in the humanities, is it is it really that, is, Marcel, is it really, you know, to do with the transferability and the value mm-hmm. that they see? Yeah, I think that this has a very utilitarian mindset behind this. Uh, first of all, uh, it would be worthwhile, for example, looking into uh, Emily Dickinson poetry, um, especially if you are a scholar from an American context and you try to then um, convey your findings to an American audience because you cannot deny your audience the knowledge mm. of, of the culture that they that has been so foundational to their society. And this is what is also being barred when, stu- when studies like this are not, not being funded. The other aspect is that um, with a humanities degree or with um, humanities interest in research, you actually go a path that... Um, in a neoliberal context cannot be assessed as usable um, knowledge, but, but it is knowledge that actually inspires and sparks curiosity and um, therefore also creates like a, a possibility for thinking and and being forms of being that are more utopian, for example, possibilities mm-hmm. um, for the future. Uh, sparks creativity also and this in an environment where we basically see the the rise of ai technologies and robotics um also mainly taking away some of uh, of the of the jobs that uh, other um, disciplines are actually teaching their students in like for instance business students or law students and so on these fields are easily to be replaced also by ai um, because um, they are very much keyed on on a certain approach and a certain yeah. set of data and so on and most often it is not seen yet that um, these are also professions that are to be chucked off the board <laughs> at, at one right. point so um being so much keyed on the uh, applicability and um usability of, of knowledge i think is detrimental uh, and it's very short-sighted um so this is is this is the actual presentism that we have and the presentism in, in the funding issues it's not thinking about how we are to create our future and how we allow basically for um the um well, realization that we are a collective, that we are a community, and how we ex- we can experience that um, together, for example. So to have this collective experience in the future, rather it is geared towards um, these isolationist and um, very much uh, mono monodisciplinary um, studies in this sense, and. The humanities offer a counterpoint because essentially we are um, very a very heterogeneous field. Um, 
We have many transdisciplinary fields that are also often now under attack. If you think about, for instance, black studies or gender studies and think about the book bans that are happening in the US. Right, yeah. Um, you cannot deny the political power that the humanities have um, in the present time in that sense. So what we actually see is um, that um, the, the, this heterogeneous um, set of approaches that we're using here that can be very empowering to students in this field also that offer the, the collective study of a certain re research object and therefore also di diverse view on a research object is something that is not to be desired. So mm -hmm. in, in this sense, it does not invite uh, a form of dialogue about research project, uh, research objects in this, in this way. On the other hand, we also see that um, a lot of... Um, Humanities, a lot of the humanities fields are now also, well, piggybacking with STEM sciences. If you think about um, the digital humanities, medical yeah. humanities, for example, also environmental humanities, um, you also see that the humanities uh, apparently have something to offer to these traditional STEM sciences and, and that their, their voice also needs to be heard in this context. So it is not the case that actually the, the humanities here um, are completely without value, but um, mm -hmm. they are not in, in the framework of value that um, a neoliberal and, and utilitarian context is basically finding in them. Yeah, I mean, they're viewed differently, isn't it? Because if one, you know, if you have students who, who a, a young person who says, okay, I'm going to do a degree in business or I'm going to do a degree in architecture, there you can, you know, it's it's quite clear. You can say, you can see that person going on to work to to having a career in business or going on to work as a, as an architect but if you had somebody who came along with say english and and philosophy that i think they might need to work a little harder to get themselves a foothold in mm -hmm. in the job market um which is actually why i think a lot of these newer degrees that are being offered by not just universities in the United Kingdom, but also here um, where we are, we have a BA degree in in English, communication and media, right? So it's transdisciplinary, it's interdisciplinary, where they're not just sitting there studying poetry and literature, but they're, they're developing a lot of um, important job skills. And let's slide into that. You mentioned that, that um, the humanities degree isn't, you know, worthless at all. Um, I find, for me personally, I think if I summarize what, what you've said, you know, the students learn, you know, to develop critical thinking skills, they learn how to communicate, they learn to get along with other people. Mm -hmm. those, those are the three. What do you think your students take away from their classes? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you already summed some of uh, these values um, and skills up, but I, um, I think um, talking talking necessarily about this um, the set of skills uh, very much ties any degree that you get from a university always to like a vocational experience, and I mm -hmm. don't think that university is necessarily to be understood as a vocational institution. So we're we're not basically having students uh, here only for the to provide them for the job market. And that's what vocational schools are basically there yeah. for, and vocational training is there for. Um, so the university as an institution has a much much longer history and and basically. Um, 
also providing um, students with this with a more thesis oriented approach to, also to the world. Mm -hmm. That said, of course, we can think about skills. Uh, <laughs> um, as I said earlier, already this tolerance towards ambivalence so that you have this ability to take another person's point of view, that you can become a better communicator when you study, for example, literature, because you're basically forced um, to think into the point of view of a character. You have, then have to take up the point of view of other characters also. You have to inform um, yourselves to get an understanding of why they think this way and why what merits are also in in this way of thinking mm -hmm. so essentially it instills this idea of dialogue that you very much also see of course realize when you think about drama and that's why i love working for my theater group also um because you have to understand that there's not one truth in this sense out there but that the truth is resulting from conflict between different points of view and yeah. so you're always being forced in a position where you have to practice and exercise empathy, um, where you are to be in, in conversation also with others to make to make sense um, mm -hmm. of, of the points of view that you're presented with. That you can also um, individually but also collectively analyze the truth claims um, and understand from what source they are coming from. So have a more historical and social cultural contextual understanding of truth in this sense. And this is something that is uh, very much um, getting lot, uh, lost when we have basically just this um, skill-focused thinking um, about what the university degree can bring me when I then go into my professional life. In this sense, what the humanities is actually offering is a much more versatile and flexible um, well, skill set that, that can prep you for any reality on the job market and most essentially uh, provides you with a sense of what what it means to find creative solutions so um and creativity is something that i understand as something that is key to human nature and yep. that it cannot be replaced uh, essentially by by an ai that is so much keyed on reproducing what is already there and not so much on uh, originality or creating or formulating something that comes close to what one can claim is a universal truth or universal insight about human nature. Mm. A lot of what you've mentioned is part of the set of 21st century skills. I don't know if you've heard about them. We've had that um, in the in the UK, in, in Singapore, um, this set of 21st century skills, things like communicating, mm -hmm. creativity, and all that. And I think for me also creativity is is thinking out of the box it's it's not sitting there making a christmas card you know with um with with lots of colors and beads and things like that but it's really it's looking at a situation we're not going to call it a problem it's looking at a situation and and thinking of of ways to solve a problem or overcome any kind of difficulty and i think that's what a lot of the young people that I encounter um, struggle with when when I teach them in class. Um, as you know, I I, I do grammar workshop, um, a course in grammar for for young people who are going on to become teachers of English. And a lot of the time, they ask me when we do an exercise or they they get a, a discussion task. They assume that there is a set answer, and they want just the set answer 
because they want in in their mind they want to be prepared for you know this particular exam that they're writing and i find that very difficult because for me personally i would like them to think about the language um mm -hmm. in your context with literature with you know the canon that that our young people are reading as part of their studies we want them you want them to think about the historical background and why people you know reacted and said and did the things that they did and in my case i want them to look at the language and think about you know why speakers or writers made those linguistic, those language, those grammatical or vocabulary choices. And my students do struggle with that, you know, and, and I find that especially with those who are going on to become teachers, we talk mm -hmm. quite often about their other classes and, and they don't, they don't seem to have found the relevance yet. Okay. of whatever they're doing in in literature in the introductory course or or in cultural studies and and i find that um quite sad and sometimes i just say don't you just enjoy it can't you just do it you know and enjoy it and and their answer is very much well i don't know what i'm going to do with this information or with this knowledge mm -hmm. do you have that too uh, well, I, this is uh, a discussion that I very often have also in my introduction to literary and cultural studies that I'm teaching. Uh, and I think a lot of this also stems from the pressure that um, the generation of, um, well, the, of the current student set of students basically is coming from. There's a realization that necessarily they won't be um, able to afford the real estate, uh, that their parents could still afford, that they may not have a house of their own. Um, so that they they have this 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 pressure um, to to get into a job quickly to make the money and um, they rarely have the open mindedness and the room to think about um, well what this this field has to offer to them mm -hmm. they come they come to these courses very often and think already there are certain things I need to know to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, lack the the essential qualities of, <laughs> of a teacher. <laughs> so they, they want to know, okay, what is the syllabus looking like? How am I teaching this? They want to know about teaching strategies, but um, necessarily they are not having much interest in the field that they are actually teaching in the future. And I have to remind them also about this. Very often students are coming into the classroom and they have never read a novel, for example. Um, yep. But they will have to teach a novel or they will have to teach a drama or a poem. Uh, in, in their classes as well, because this, uh, this is still part of the English curriculum in schools. So I, I also make them aware of how literacy um, is also strongly tied to, uh, for instance, income. This has a, a Gallup study of 2020 that was, you may remember this during the pandemic, we very often had these literacy studies all mm. across the board in Germany. <laughs> yeah. The US and so on. And this particular Gallup study was very interesting. It was done on behalf of the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy in 2020. And they uh, found that a majority of Americans back then um, have struggled to understand texts beyond filling out basic forms and that they find it difficult to make inferences from written material. So um, that is um, the, the literacy level uh, we, we're dealing with uh, at the moment. But if you want to become someone who can actually express themselves critically, has, has, can formulate an own opinion, can be empowered also to use an own approach in thinking about a study object or about a certain question or problem in this way, 
they have to reach a literacy level um, where they are able to evaluate sources um, as well as being able to express sophisticated opinions and, well, infer meaning and complex ideas from the written sources. And this is something that needs to be instilled. And um, in order to be a teacher, you need also to be able to do that when you want to teach the material that you have to teach according to your syllabus. So... It is, it is vital also that they understand basically the methods um, that, uh, that, that we have here. We have a plethora of methods, actually, um, especially in the transdisciplinary uh, approaches that we have um, that also then empower students in making a choice about what approach they can use so that they know a, um, a plethora of approaches and then can make an informed choice of why they are using one. And when they are in conversations with their, with their students in their classrooms uh, in, in the future, I hope that they can also instill this set of possibilities that makes them think about um, the various sides to a truth in this sense and also various sides to a problem that they are approaching mm. that they can collectively and uh, in dialogue work on this. Exactly. I mean, I tell my students very often that that they they need to bring this curiosity, mm -hmm. this passion, this interest into their classroom. And I tell them, even if you may never ever, you know, look at Joseph Conrad and his writings in your own teaching again, your students, your the young people that you that they work with. Um, will nonetheless be, you know, they'll be impressed. They'll, you'll have that wow effect, kind of like, wow, my teacher read something like that. You know, that little bit of information. And um, maybe, I don't know, maybe the students in, in their first year, they're not at that level yet, you know, to, to, have, to have developed that curiosity. Though I think they do come in with some genuine interest and want and desire to study English. Many of them, you know, many of the ones that I've, I've asked, whom I've asked, you know, why are you, you know, studying English? Many of them say it's because they really enjoyed it when they were at school or they had, you know, good English teachers. So I'd like to talk to you about your other passion, which is theater. <laughs> and, um, and I hope that we can from there um, consider what, school teachers and other teachers can do to help continue, you know, um, bringing this passion for, you know, English, literature, culture, um, linguistics into the classroom. But first. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. 
On the 24th to the 26th of January 2024, BetUK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as Tech User Labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. So, Marcel, we're back. Theatre, tell me about theatre. I, I think the last time I ever did anything theatre related was in elementary school and that's so long ago and i see your passion and your students passion in it i i that it just brings a smile to my face warms the cockles of my heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so we offer here a theater workshop every summer term that's is basically the beginning of a production cycle and this has become very popular uh, with with students because they on the one hand can of course apply what they have learned theoretically in their classes on in literary and cultural studies to um, well bring this to a production of a, of a play. I understand the theater workshop as uh, essentially a public humanities um, project um, so that uh, the aim is to bring the production to a public stage and offer it also to a public audience that is uh, everyone in Siegen can go and see and experience this play. That is um, therefore also decentering the university um, as as the site of expertise in this in this sense and allows for new interactions and new forms of of, of knowledge. So um, what my students then basically are doing is not just acting; they are responsible for for communicating the play via public relations, uh, find also funding for the production. Uh, so they have to defend what they are doing uh, in different contexts. They have to think about uh, costume and makeup. So they have to think about the characters and their aura, for example, and how, mm -hmm. how they are working. So to design something that is convincing with regard to the character that they are basically uh, um, putting on stage. Uh, sound and light also to think also about other forms of um, storytelling that they then can realize with this. Uh, and then, of course, they always have to be in teams. They always have to be in communication to make this into a collective experience for them so that they get always the sense that they are part of a, of a whole, of a community of students that are working on the realization of one production. And that uh, you can also show them with how little you can actually pull something big off and um, can also reach an audience and how this is also changing, um, well, the, the way an audience has thought about a certain topic. I'm mm -hmm. thinking here very much about a production we did last year, Will Arbery's Heroes of the Fourth Turning, mm -hmm. that um, allowed you to be basically uh, to fly on the wall uh, in a, in, a, in a Catholic um, private college and overhearing, yeah. overhearing the conversations of the conservative youth and thinking about, um, well, the liberals and um, thinking about gender, uh, abortion, and so on. And not necessarily these are the views that an audience that is going to a theater usually would have or would want to engage with. So they were basically forced into a position to think about the way 
the other side in the sense is thinking and also see the plausibility of some of their points of view and also understand where they are coming from, uh, which then also could um, instill a better dialogue, uh, for instance, in political debates. And we, we always offer after our performances uh, and like an open session, an open Q&A session, where the audience can also interact with the actors and with everyone who is involved in production. And they mm-hmm. are then forced to answer <laughs> the, the okay. questions that are there. And we had very vivid uh, discussions with this production back then um, because it was so much at the heart of what ma- many people were thinking about and also affecting their, their worries uh, when they think about political discourse very much. So this was very enriching. And I think it was also an, an enriching experience and for the students who were involved in this eventually. Yeah. I, I, I realized this when I was talking to my students who came back also for this year's production that they were still thinking about this play. And um, now over half, <laughs> over a year, actually, mm-hmm. they, they have developed uh, a, a, even an even better understanding of the production that they were involved in last year because they continue to think about this and talk about this. Uh, and even some of them also pursued this further and attending further courses on, for instance, political theater that I offered last semester mm-hmm. uh, on eventually also writing their thesis about this. Yeah. I mean, that's really what, what you want as an educator, isn't it? That that whole, that critical thinking, that reflection, that's what, what you're saying, that, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they're still thinking about what they did last year and, and they go on to do something else or... Um, that's what I want. That's uh, that's something I would love from my students, even though it's you know about you know choices between certain tenses and so on. And um, what you say is actually, and the way you describe it, it's a lot more. It's a lot more than than what people envision. If you were to say, "Oh, right, I'm going to go and study for an English degree," it's mm-hmm. you know when you talk English degree, people think poetry people think Shakespeare maybe in Germany they think you know old English middle English mm-hmm. um, cultural studies American studies but theater you mentioned at the beginning Marcel here that you say that the students who participate in the theater workshop and go on to produce the theater they apply what they've learned in mm-hmm. their classes what are some of these things because when I think you know a class on on American theater or British plays of a particular century or genre i i i envision students reading a play then sitting in class in groups answering a couple of questions talking about it um what do you mean though exactly when you say they apply what they've learned uh for example in in my introduction to literary and cultural um studies we also have uh, trauma as a genre uh, mm-hmm. and they learn theoretically about trauma where is it where is it coming from what forms of trauma exist what is the language of trauma and this is something of most of the students the last time they were at a theater was when they were forced in school to, exactly. to attend the show and they they not necessarily have uh, a pleasurable um, experience with trauma that they bring to class. Mm-hmm. So most of these um, conversations that we have about, uh, for instance, the functions of language and trauma, because a, a very special feature of trauma is that it has no narrator, right? right. Everything, everything results basically from the dialogues, monologues, polylogues that are, that are happening on stage and the actions that you see on stage. Um, so 
how do you then study trauma when you're just reading it and understand what functions of language actually means in this sense when um, something is like a poetic function or what, what yeah. is that and so on. Uh, and this is something that they now get a better understanding when they actually have to think about, um, okay, so in what, what position is this character? Is, is he enraged or is he just... Um, pulling another person's strings um, mm -hmm. and so on. So they have to think about this and also think about what in the language that they have in the source text is implying this and that. So what are the contexts of this conversation? Uh, so in, in this sense, they uh, can apply the theoretical understanding that was instilled in them when we, for instance, taught them the functions of language and also the language of trauma and also genre and so on. How, right. um, how this works in the actual play they're reading. They have to think about what is this now? Is this a comedy, a tragic comedy, a melodrama and so on? So uh, in what way does this need to be enunciated on stage also? So that's, that's what I'm, that's what I mean when I, when I talk about this. Also, when they have to conceive of a light concept, uh, they have to understand genre and they also right. have to understand, um, the history of a certain genre. So what is something that is to be expected to be, to be happening there? So how can I actually acknowledge this tr tradition, but also bring my own take to this and so on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, that's really interesting. I, I'd never thought about it that way. And when when I hear of theater groups in schools, it's very much a group of young people guided by one or more teachers. Teacher picks a play, the students rehearse it. I mean, my son's in elementary school at the moment, and they're doing um, this play uh, or this story, a play based on J.K. Rowling's The Christmas Pig. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, the way I understand it, my son has not read the story at all, but now he, he's got himself the book. He's very interested in reading it. And he's just got the one line and, and that's all. He's learned it by heart, you know, and he doesn't think anymore about it. The rest, <laughs> right, the makeup, the lighting, the props, that's all done by the school. So what, what you've got here um, in this project is really... Um, the students, they're developing everything, they're creating everything, and it's then not just the knowledge from their content classes that they're using. I mean, you talk about enunciation, that's something that they might have learned, you know, in English pronunciation. Our dear mm -hmm. listeners, our students are all um, users of English as a foreign language. So they're, they're really, you know, putting in, using a lot of skills that they've learned elsewhere. Um, yeah. the, and 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 using very important soft skills, right? So I think that's an amazing project. It's not something you see all over. Marcel, you mentioned you mentioned that um, the last experience with a play or with a drama or theater that that our students have was not a pleasurable one. Yes, that resonates with me as a child. My question to you, Marcel, is how can we bridge that gap? Or what, what can we, you know, what advice do you have for, for school teachers who, who have to do drama as part of their curriculum or any aspect of English literature and culture? Mm -hmm. Um, well, try to engage the conversation um, with regard to something that really befits the students. For example, I was teaching um, the Lonesome West last week in my class on the theater of Martin McDonough. 
And my course started um, off with having um, a deep and profound conversation about what sacrifice means to my students. Uh, because mm. sacrifice is one of the uh, well, essential themes of the play to understand the play. And um, so everyone had to say something about this. So find the, 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 the thing, the topic or so that everyone can somehow relate to to make them interested in, in the text. Uh, it is out of this conversation that we also then developed the insight that one of the characters was basically re reliving a very ancient tale, and, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, um, basically, so that we even saw then the biblical analogies that were in this, in this, in this play mm -hmm. and, and could then start a conversation about, well, the mechanisms, um, the form of the play, the intertext to the play. So this was then something that was also fun. And I saw that a natural conversation also developed around sacrifice and then the play where uh, I was basically just then acting as a host. <laughs> right, right. Not, not as someone who um, had to be standing in front of the class and teach them this and that you should know about this play. Mm -hmm. But um, we were able to be in a position to explore it ourselves and also what, what was most important to them about the play. And then we were in the end also allowed to draw analogies to the previous plays that we have read because they were all part of a trilogy. Uh, and to see also uh, the picture of Ireland that, for example, was, was painted there. So find find uh, the one topic, for example, that students can relate to and engage them to a conversation and then um, gear the conversation back to the, to the text and also how the text can also shape a better understanding for the students with regard to the probably very private thing that they started off talking about. The mm -hmm. other thing um, that I realized is that when you think about um, having students organize projects, um, for instance, uh, if you work with a course towards an exhibit uh, exhibition in the end, I did this last year with a film class that I had on, on David Lynch. Uh, we had a pop-up exhibition and the students then had to basically uh, um, come with an artwork. So they had to be creative that was reflective of what they have learned about um, David Lynch. They had to be also able to explain what they did and why they did uh, what they did. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you, if you tie them to a project, um, and also have to let this exhibition, for example, happen in public space or let them work on a podcast, for example, let them work also on a blog. Um, mm -hmm. So something that is um, tied back to a public audience. Uh, I, I have seen that students then come with a higher degree of responsibility to um, working with the literature at hand and seriously engaging with it. So I, I think that we as, well, scholars in the humanities also have to think often outside the box and also think about how can how is it that we can create new forms of knowledge, uh, not necessarily inside the university, but also outside the university. And that's something that, for, for example, the theater workshop is also very well bridging uh, for me. And that's why I also enjoy doing this so much. Yeah, I I like I like your ideas and the two that you mentioned really do resonate with me, as well. The projects that you described is what um, we in in English language teaching we call it. You know, it's it could be either project based learning where they have an outcome, right at the end, and the way you describe it, it's a real world outcome. It's not one of those fake role plays where you have. Um, I know. 
back in the day in the 90s, early 2000s, we, we had a lot of these business role plays in many English language textbooks and people had roles and they one pretend that they, they were the CEO, then you had the secretary and then they were presented with a problem that they had to solve using language. And here what, what you've provided with students is a very, very authentic um, situation and authentic project and authentic scenario, something that they had to do, which then also went into the outside world. So it also gives them, it pushes them, like you say, to take responsibility. And if they know that it's going out to the public, they do strive to do much better. They have a, a greater sense of pride in their work because, you know, nobody wants to embarrass themselves. And they're not just demonstrating what they know in terms of content, but they're using so many soft skills that are so relatable and things that employers really want. So that project-based learning, task-based learning, um, that we definitely need to find time in our curriculum and in our school year for that. And what you say about connecting with the students help develop, the, the phrase you use is help develop a natural conversation. And I think in many classes that that is lacking because a lot of it in school at the moment is teaching to the test yeah <laughs> yeah and, and and that's quite sad um you recently went to ireland with your theater group what yes. have your students taken back from that i saw some pictures you had a great time i, I saw students that i knew from before and um, the students who who do take part in in the theater workshop, oh, I I know a few who who auditioned and and didn't get a role. Um, what they they speak passionately about it as well. They they're very very enthusiastic. What have they taken away from from the from, experience? from the experience from going from going? That's oh. the first time you've gone. Yeah, it's the first time that we've gone. Uh, I think all of them have um, realized that this was not vacation. <laughs> okay. Um, this was um, something that some students expected and that we were really there to, to do this job, to connect with the trauma group over there and to, um, well, in a very short period of time, conceive of setting a completely different stage than the one that they have developed over, well, the production period of this play to basically make do uh, um, with what is there, to have a makeshift stage that is still convincing, for example, to also make do with the re rehearsal spaces that they were offering us. So we had a just a regular classroom, for example. Right. Be more flexible to these new situations, but also to... Um, well, connect with people to network, um, to also see uh, the appreciation from, uh, from native speakers, uh, towards what they were uh, putting on stage, not only the actors, but also the others, um, that worked along, like the stage design, costume, makeup, sound as well. Uh, so that we were also even able to show possibilities for, for instance, setting a stage that they have never thought about beforehand. They, they have been using the same stage for, for their own productions in the right. past. And so they were also getting a new angle, but they were also instructive in helping us with our resources. Um, and so it was a very nice symbiosis that we had over there. And I hope this also comes to fruition that eventually they will come over to us to also um, show one of their plays over here. And I also hoped um, with this 
with this um, trip to instill a greater interest in my home university that I'm coming from so that students who attended the performance and also who are part of the theater group over there are considering a seeking for the, for going abroad because they always have to go for, uh, abroad for a year and so okay. they could actually participate in a whole production cycle eventually. Yeah. And I, I think we connected very well. Uh, we made new friends there. The English department that was hosting us also, they were amazed by what we, we put on. And uh, so I hope this will, will, will um, come to fruition eventually, um, that, uh, that more outgoing students from, from Maynooth come over here and that we can continue the conversations that we that we started there. And I think the students, they just took away this experience of A, being abroad. Some of them yeah. flew for the first time. Some of them have been abroad for the first time for this. Uh, but not for not going then for vacation, but actually to, to uh, put uh, this production on a new stage and to work yeah, and yeah. Ex experience something that we also label positive stress. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> almost like a business trip, isn't it? Almost yes. like a business trip for, for yeah. any other business manager. And um, there's so many things that have come out of that. And for me, as, as an English language teaching professional, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that um, you mentioned, you know, the native speakers at, at the partner university in Ireland. The first thing that comes to me, that comes to mind for me is the confidence that the non-native speaking students develop, mm -hmm. right? To see that they they can hold their own with native speakers. Mm -hmm. I, I have many students still who, who are afraid to speak English with, with native speakers, who feel that they haven't got that level of English. And you have here, you know, through this project, and, and it's something that, that we have to remember that, you know, a, a humanities degree isn't just about studying philosophy, history, literature, but it's developing these skills. And, and when there, you have opportunities where they can go and interact with other people, they have to find ways to create meaning. They have to find ways to solve problems and, and and they learn, you know, they have to think on their feet. They learn, they develop that intercultural understanding. And likewise, you know, people from um, English-speaking countries who then have the opportunity to interact with other Europeans. I think, you know, there's there's also that that discussion in the UK that um, the number of students registering to study, you know, or to take German, French, Spanish, any other European language in the A for their A levels is also dropping massively. And I think that's because people don't know, well, so what what do I do? I, I can speak German, what do I do now? Right? And and we have to provide our young people with these opportunities and to show them, you know, yeah. it's we're we're very much an interconnected world. Yeah, uh, and I think I think the, this problem really is um, about the conversations that exist about the humanities out there. I, I think mm. that the crisis of, um, for example, literary studies is essentially also a crisis of memory. Uh, people should think more about what do we remember, what do we forget, whose stories can persist, what experiences disappear because we don't uh, recognize them, what voices matter. Um, how can we create um, work that uh, allows us to um, uh, access 
the past to make yeah. all the meaning for the future. And this is something that you get with a humanities degree. And this, um, it is very much devalued in the conversations that are very much keyed on the vocational aspect, very much keyed on the skill aspect, mm. very much keyed basically on this usability utility aspect that we find in neoliberal discourses that is so, uh, so inimical to our understandings of what a democ democratic society is, what, what it means to be part of a community. At what it means to, uh, well, be human, to have empathy, to understand points of view, and to also understand where truth is coming from. Yeah, yeah, and and in the short term, one one of the problems is also that a lot of the teaching is teaching to the test. Yes, yeah, you know, that's it's, also a problem. <laughs> it's and and we should. It, I mean, it's it's a big curriculum problem all over. But I am glad that we, you and me and other colleagues teaching English, whether it's literature, cultural studies, linguistics, language, um, I'm glad we have the opportunity, the time and the space in our curriculum, I think, to bring a little bit of joy and a little bit of fun into yeah. our classes. Marcel, yeah. thank you very much for this. This has been amazing. I will see you sometime this week. But thank you for being here and we'll be in touch. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Marcel. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.